0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 1. If you've been with us the past few Sundays, we have been walking through the book of Ephesians, and we've called this series Live Light. And that's really because we've walked through Ephesians, and we'll continue to see, is that our identity always produces action in us. Who we are always affects what we do. In fact, you cannot do anything that does not align with your identity. And this is the truth of Scripture, and, and what we see in Ephesians that Paul makes so clear is that we really only have one of two identities. We're either found in Christ or apart from Christ, and that will affect everything that we do. And so those that are found in Christ are described as being in light, and so they produce light deeds. They produce good deeds. But those that are found apart from Christ produce deeds that are of the world. Um, As we'll see in chapter 2 next week, right, they they produce acts of disobedience, right, in accordance with what the world does. And so through this, what we've seen is that to grow as a Christian, really what we're doing is we're understanding who God is and how he has changed our identity. And as we understand our new identity, that, that then replicates itself and expresses itself through changed behavior, And the reality is that many of us, as Christians, with good motives, want to change our behavior. We want to be less sinful, less disobedient. And what we do is we try harder to be obedient. And the reality is, as we're going to see in chapter 2 next week, is really that's reverting to the very things that cause disobedience in us, and that is trusting in ourselves. The way to obedience is not trying harder— The way to obedience is seeing who Christ is better and how that changes us. And as we understand our identity better, we will then reveal that through better actions. And so what we're going to see today as we move kind of out of this opening poem in Ephesians chapter 1 into the prayer of thanksgiving of, of Paul is really what Paul expects a mature Christian to be growing in. As a pastor, I definitely have come across people that think, that as Christians, we just stop growing, right? We're saved, that's it, we're good, we're good to go. But the reality is we never reach a point, this side of heaven, where our maturity stops. And we stop progressing in what's called sanctification. You see, what we kind of talked about last week and the week before as we walked through the opening is really God's work of salvation. And the idea that, that, that in Christ, we are positionally different than we would be outside of Christ that we have been saved, that we have been set apart, that we now have a new identity. And sanctification then is the process of understanding that identity and making it take hold in our lives. And the Bible reveals, and what we're going to see in this passage, is every Christian should be growing in their knowledge of that. And Paul's going to, through his prayer for these Ephesians, show us how that actually comes to pass. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Chapter 1, verse 15 of Ephesians, all the way through verse 23. So will you follow along with me? This is what's written. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not se- cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him And he's put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come before you, asking you to give us a spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Reveal your word to us and help us to see you clearly this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage begins with the phrase, for this reason. And really, I I think this phrase actually serves two purposes. One, Paul is drawing back to what we've read the previous weeks in the opening part of Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because you are saved, is really what he's saying. Because of all that Christ has done in you, everything that we've seen God do in verses 3 through 14. But it's also, um, one of the, the weird things about Greek is sometimes you can say, for this reason. And you don't mean what's happened previously, you mean what's about to happen. I think that's also what Paul's doing. He's saying, for this reason, because of two reasons. First, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And second, your love towards all the saints. Because I've heard of that. And so we need to make sure we understand that, to understand who Paul is talking to and what he's talking about. First, he says, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does Paul specify their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he wants to make it clear that he is praying for believers. The prayer that he's going to pray, the maturity that he wants them to grow in, everything that he's, he's asking is only for those that are in Christ. Only for those who are saved. And so what he's saying is he's identifying the maturity that should come about with the people that have been saved by God as seen in verses 3 through 14. And so here's the reality. We cannot grow apart from salvation. We can never be sanctified without being saved first. And so we see that here in this. And so it's important to understand that why is faith necessary? Because that's the only way to be saved. The reality is that we are all sinners far from God. As we read, and we'll read again in chapter 2, right, we were following the course of, the, of this world right? We were on a road to destruction, but God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, sent Christ to die for us. And Christ's death on the cross pays the penalty for my sin and your sin, and so we can put our hope and faith in Christ alone for salvation. And so our faith in Jesus Christ is sufficient to save us because Christ's blood is sufficient to save us. And so Paul is praying this and letting them know that their faith is going to lead to growth because they've been saved by Christ. And so this morning, understand that everything I say is only for the people that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, then everything I'm talking about today does not have any bearing or application on how you will live your life because you have no part in the promises and the joys of this passage, because you are not in Christ. And so this morning, I call you right now to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, and everything promised in this verse is for you. And that's really as simple as this Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. that's not the only reason. It's not just faith in Christ that Paul is going to remember them in his prayers. It's also for their love towards all the saints. Now, what makes that so interesting is if we had time, we'd go back and read all of Ephesians, or Acts 19 and 20. If you go read Acts 19 and 20, you see that Paul spent three long years in the church at Ephesus. He knew this church very well. In fact, when he leaves in chapter 20, if you go look at, at chapter 20, verse 36 of Acts, you see that he's leaving... Ephesus, and he knows he'll never be back. At this point, it seems the Spirit has revealed to him that he's he's on his road to his death. He's not going to be back. He knows that's not possible. And literally, the the, the leaders there and, and Paul are weeping over each other as Paul is leaving. If anybody understood the love that the believers in Ephesus had towards other believers, it was Paul. Paul had seen it firsthand, and so he speaks of this very personally. And so really, you take these two things, right, that they are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have faith in Christ, and they have love towards all the saints. And what Paul is describing are mature believers. These are not new believers, right? We see that—think about even maybe what Paul writes to the Romans, right? A place he has not been. He doesn't know what their faith is. He doesn't know who they are. Here, Paul seems to understand that these are people that are mature in their walk with God, that they are mature believers, And that their identity in Christ, right, what he talks about in verses 3 through 14, has already begun to express itself in action, right? They're loving other believers. Because the reality is that our inclusion in Christ not only affects our vertical relationship with God, but it will affect horizontal relationships as well. If we're in Christ, not just how we relate to God will be affected, but how we relate to other believers and other people will be affected. And so what Paul's saying is he's seen in their lives that they have been changed by who they are now in Christ. And so he's describing mature believers. But then, right, he says, even though you're mature believers, you still should be growing. And so he says to them, he says, I give thanks for you through prayer. This is directed, right? He's saying, because of who you are, I give thanks for you. And the reality is what Paul's saying is is our faithful living should express itself by praying for other believers. And other believers should be challenged to pray for us by how faithfully we live. Think that through. By how faithfully we live, we should be causing other believers to pray for us, and then seeing faithfulness in other believers should cause us to pray. At least that seems to be the example of Paul here in this passage. And I, I had a great example of this week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on John and the choir a little bit as we were at Falls Creek this week. Uh, one of the things I really appreciate it, that John does anytime we're on, we're on a trip or away at children's camp, John always texts me on Wednesday, uh, a Wednesday morning or, or Tuesday night and says, hey, you know, we have choir tomorrow night. How can we pray for you guys while you're there? And so I know that, that on Wednesday night, I sent him his prayer request. I know the choir stopped and, and prayed for us. But that's this great example of what we see Paul doing here, right? Is that the faithfulness of us going to camp Encourage John to pray for us, and then his faithfulness encouraged us to live more faithful lives, right? What Paul is saying is, is what he's seen in the believers has led him to be more faithful to God by praying for them. And so don't miss that, that, that little truth hidden there, is that our faithful living encourages others to live faithfully, and their faithful living should do the same to us. And so all that establishes how Paul wants them to go in Christ. And so here's what he says. He says, because you are mature believers, I have prayed for you. And here is his prayer, right? It's found beginning in verse 17, that God, right, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. So he begins with the idea, right, that God would give a spirit of revelation and knowledge of him. Now, there's an immediate question that might jump out to you that, that I think we have to understand, if we're going to understand this, this passage correctly, and that is when, when Paul says that God would give a spirit of wisdom and revelation, what does he mean by that word spirit? Right? Because clearly, we see in Scripture right, the idea of the Holy Spirit, right one of the, the three persons of the Trinity right, being fully God. Right? And so does, is that what he's talking about here? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit, right? that God would give us the Holy Spirit? Or maybe he's talking about just a, just a, some sort of spiritual knowledge, right? That, that, that a, a predeposition, a, an idea, right? That, that we would be inclined towards wisdom and knowledge in him, right? And it's an important question because it's going to determine how we interpret this verse. And so in, in one way, right? We would see, even if we were to go back to verse 14 and 13, right? That it seems to be that, that Paul has already said that we've been given the spirit, right? That upon our salvation, we are given the spirit. So why would, why would God be giving us a new spirit, right? We can't get the, the spirit a second time, right? So that seems to interpret, well, maybe this isn't the Holy Spirit. Um, but, but not to bore you too much with, with the, the nuances of Greek here, um, but based off how the language is written, and then a very important detail that what Paul is saying comes directly from God the Father, it seems to be that Paul is actually meaning the Holy Spirit here. And it's not a second coming of the Holy Spirit. It's not this that the Holy Spirit has left us and come again. Basically what he's meaning is that, he would get, that the Holy Spirit would reveal God to us in a new way, right? That he would continue the revelation. Not that, that we'd be given it again. It's already in us. But that it would give us from himself, from the Spirit, this spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so I, I really do think that, there, that the way to interpret this is with the idea that this is the Holy Spirit doing it. And here's why this is important is because what Paul's trying to say is that God himself is revealing who he is, right? That that God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, is revealing himself to us. And that is the basis for Christian maturity, is what God the Father through the Spirit is doing. And so that to correctly understand our identity, we need the Holy Spirit to work in us, And that's because it's not just that that we need knowledge, right? It's not just that, that there's knowledge out there that we need to gain. It's that we need something that has been hidden, and that is the mystery of who God is to be revealed for us. And the only person that can reveal the mystery of God is God himself. And so we need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us, to give us the wisdom and revelation of God, because he's the only one capable, because he is God. And so if, he, if, if that's not the Holy Spirit there, then it really, the passage doesn't make sense because we cannot on our own comprehend God because he's beyond us, right? We need him to reveal himself to us. And in scripture, really from Genesis chapter one to the end of re- Revelation, reveals that God is in the process of doing that. And so we see here this idea that, that, that God through the spirit is going to grow us as he reveals himself. And how is he going to do that? If you have your, your outline, on on the bulletin there. The the first blank is that the way we grow is that we grow in knowledge of Him. That the Spirit is going to reveal the knowledge of God. And I've already kind of hit on it, but I I want you to see here that there's a connection between knowledge of God and the Spirit's working. As one commentator put it, that, that, that we acquire knowledge of God not only by facts of the Bible but by the Holy Spirit giving insight and disclosure in the knowledge of God himself. Put another way, right? Unbelievers can read Scripture, and they can see some of of who God is. But the reality is, unless Scripture is illuminating through the Holy Spirit what is in it, right? then we miss the truth of who God really is. Right? We can read the Bible apart from the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers read the Bible and understand some of the nature of who God is. But unless the Holy Spirit is illuminating and revealing the character of God, they will miss the truth of God's nature as found in it. Right? It's also why, right? Why sometimes you can read a passage and get one thing out of it and see part of the character of God, and then years later you go back and read it and as the Holy Spirit continues to work in you and mature you, you re- you see more of the character of God in it. Why is that? Because God is revealing himself through his word and the Holy Spirit to you. And so to grow in knowledge of God is impossible to do that without the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. But you will only grow as a believer when you grow in your knowledge of God. And so here's why I say this, because it's really important that we see that this this is directional knowledge. It is not knowledge for knowledge's sake. It is knowledge that is geared towards a specific purpose of understanding God. And so the goal for all those who have the Spirit is to have knowledge of God. And so spiritual maturity cannot happen without understanding God more. You do not grow without understanding God. And so there's some necessary applications from this that we we need to understand. The first is that we should be seeking to grow in our knowledge. Listen, I, I understand that all of us approach school, intellectual activities differently. Some of us are readers, some of us are not readers, right? Some of us are, are really good with tinkering and with our hands, right? Some of us are not. We all approach learning differently. We all approach growing differently. But the reality is, Scripture makes clear that growing in God is an intellectual activity. While at the same time, simultaneously being a spiritual activity, and so unless we're devoting ourselves completely to both of those ends, we've be missing the full revelation of God for us. And so we devote ourselves spiritually, right, to gathering together, to, to praying, right, to the, the spiritual disciplines. But we also, as Christians, need to be devoting ourselves to the intellectual disciplines. Because God's revelation is both spiritual and mental. And that's what this passage testifies And what's amazing is what God's saying through Paul here is that in our efforts to know him, he will graciously and freely reveal himself to us. And so God's not saying you have to be an A-plus student to grow in your knowledge of him. He will take care of that part. He just wants our faithfulness to seek him. And so we grow in our knowledge of him. And really what Paul's saying here, and he's going to spend the next part, is, is the next three areas of growth really are the ways in which we grow in knowledge of him. These next three categories are really subdivisions of the, the the first category of knowledge of Him, and they're found in verse beginning in verse 18. He says, "Having the heart, the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know first was the hope to which you have been called." Or put another way, in the, in, as I have it in kind of outline, that mature believers should grow in the calling of Him; that we should grow in His calling. This Greek word here, the word calling, literally conveys the idea of an invitation. It's the idea, right, that God is holding a feast, and he has sent you an invitation, and you are invited to that feast. Or as I, I, as I see the pitch for s- sitting there, I think of, you know, their daughter got married last, their granddaughter got married last weekend, right? And, and, and when you have a wedding like that, right, you send out wedding invitations, and you invite people, right, to the ceremony, That is the idea, that is the picture of what God is doing here. It's the idea of an invitation, right? That you may know the hope that God has sent you an invitation to his feast. That you are partaking in something that God has done. And that should give you great hope. It's really a call to look back. To look back to everything that we saw in in verses 3 through 14. To see everything that God has done. To look back and see, and then there's hope in that. Why? Because God has for some reason, in some way, inclined to make you a part of what he is doing, and that should give you great hope. Why? Because as we'll see in chapter 2, you have no reason to be invited to the feast. You have no right to be in that ceremony. You have no right to be a part of the celebration, but there is great hope because you know that the only reason you're there is not because of your own merit, but because of what Christ has done for you our hope is not internal, it's external. Meaning that our hope is not built on who we are, but our hope is built on the fact that Christ has accomplished what needed to be accomplished. And so there's great hope for us because we can see God at work and we can see what Christ has done. And so we know that we will be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb because he has already accomplished it. And so he seeks, he asks that all believers would grow in their hope in the calling of God. That they would hope more and more that they will be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That they will be there. They are invited because of what Christ has done. That's that's the the first way that we grow in knowledge of Him. The second way that we grow in knowledge of Him is in the inheritance of Him. Now, if you read that really closely, the end of verse 18, it's really easy to miss what is happening here. He says... Right, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now this is to be compared, right, with the end of the previous passage in 14, which is about our inheritance. What Paul is saying here is not that we would grow to understand what our inheritance is, but that we would grow to understand what God's inheritance is. Right, what his inheritance is in the saints. Well, that's, that's a little interesting, Right? What is God inheriting? We know what we're inheriting, right? Eternal glory, right? Eternity spent with our Savior. But w- what is God inheriting? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us, it's us. We are the inheritance of God. His heritage is the saints. And so it's different than 114. This is looking forward, right? We, are, we grow in understanding that for some reason, in some ways, God has chosen us to be the blessing and the gift that he gives himself. For some reason, God has chosen, right? That the marriage supper of the lamb, the bride that he has chosen for himself is us. And we are his inheritance. We are the blessing that he's given himself. And so the reality is we are valuable. That God has said that we are worth something to him. Right? An inheritance has value. Right? If you know that inheritance is a large sum of money, you will do everything you can to make sure you acquire it. And what Paul is saying here is that for some reason, God believes that we are valuable. And so he's going to do everything in his possession to acquire it, acquire us. And so don't take this and be be clear. Don't take this as a prideful way. There's a prideful way that you can take it. Well, of course, God would want me as inheritance, right? which just keep reading into chapter two and you'll you'll be dissuaded of that notion really carefully. The reality is this is not a prideful notion. This is really, right, a joy of the son of an adopted father. Right, the son of an adopted father always has a question, why did you choose me? And the adopted father says, because I wanted you to be a part of my family. That's what Paul's laying out here is that there's a richness in this, and we see, right, and we grow to understand that that for some reason, in some amazing, majestic way, God wants to make us an inheritance of himself. And he wants to bless us, and make us a part of our family, and bring us into him in a way that we cannot completely understand, but is glorious, and leads to maturity in Christ. But then the third way that we grow in the knowledge of God is that we understand the greatness of the power in him. We grow in understanding the power of him. Specifically, towards us who believe. That's what Paul says in verse 19. The power of him towards us believe. And so his power is directional towards us and is specific in us who believe. So this is not the power that God has worked towards all people, right, through creation, or through common grace, but specifically the power that God has worked towards us being believers. And so if you think about it, right, the the, the first way we grew in knowledge of God, right, was understanding his calling, a past action, understanding his inheritance, a future thing, right, and now we understand his power, which is really a present reality, that he is presently working his power in us, that we grow to understand that he is now at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure, right we understand that he is now doing what he will say in chapter 2 that he is now making us his workmanship to do good works right and here's why this is important god's power is great in fact it's without limit and he always accomplishes his will. The Bible makes clear that everything that God wills to pass, he will make pass. And so if God wills that we should be mature Christians, then he will use his power to make it come to pass. And that power is the same power that created the universe, sustains the universe, the same power, we're going to see in a second, that sent Christ to the cross, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is the same power that is working in you right now to make you a mature Christian. And so if that is the same power working in you, doesn't it seem to be then that power will accomplish the will of God and will make you a mature Christian? He is revealing through his Spirit that the purpose of his power and the works which he has done is to present, him, present us to himself as holy and complete, lacking in nothing, mature believers who have grown in Christ. And so the reality is, Paul wants to make clear that God is doing all this through the Spirit, and he's revealing it to us. But that's not where the passage ends. He says at the end of 19, according to the working of his great might. Now, we're not exactly clear on if this, according to, if this great might that he's working if he says according, if that just means the last phrase, or it means kind of the whole entire passage, but the reality is it doesn't make much difference which way you interpret it here. Because the reality is, Scripture makes clear that the work of the Spirit is to always reveal what Christ has done through the power of God the Father. And so the Spirit will always reveal to you, and the perfect understanding of God the Father and God's character is revealed in Christ the Son. He is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what he says here at the end of this passage, right? He is the complete understanding of God in human flesh. Right, And so the, the Spirit will always reveal Christ to us. And so the working of God in us, right, spiritual growth in us, is always built upon the foundation of what God did in Christ. Or put another way, the internal work of maturity in believers is only accomplished because of the external reality of God's working in Christ. Therefore, any growth of any kind in the believer is always towards God. It's never towards any other end, it's always towards God. And so think of this, if you've ever seen one of those flowers, there's flowers, in fact most flowers will do this, that in the morning they'll be facing a certain direction. As the sun, right, travels through the sky, the flower will move, right? It will follow the sun. Why? Because that's where its energy, right, that's where its power is coming from. And the reality is, kind of what what Paul is saying here, is that the, mat- the maturity of a Christian, the spiritual growth of a Christian, always aimed at God through the Spirit, right, will follow God and His working. And so it will always be pointed towards Him like that flower. And so the Spirit is going to testify to the works of Christ. And so we need no further case study. We know the further example of God's power and what He's done than to look to Christ. And when we do that, right, we see everything we need to grow in spiritual maturity. In fact, that's what, that's what Paul says. Look again at the end of verse 18. Or sorry, the end of verse 19. He says, According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he first, right, when he raised him from the dead, when he seated him at his right hand, above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The reality is, if you want to understand what the knowledge of God is, if you want to understand the hope to which he has called you, what it means that we are in his inheritance, if you want to understand his power, then you need to understand that Christ died on the cross for your sins, that God rose him from the grave, and then he took that same Christ, he ascended into heaven, put him at his right hand, and he is above every name, he's above every authority, he's above all power and dominion, he's above everything that will be, has been, or ever it can be, And everything is in subjection to him and that there is a time when he will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he has given him his head over the church. There is no other authority. There is no other direction. There is no person who rules over the church but Christ alone. And every Christian submits to the authority and lordship of Christ. And the Spirit testifies to this through the Word of God day in, day out, every day until we will see Christ with our eyes. Until you understand that, you will never grow in the maturity that is promised here through God. The Spirit is not testifying to anything else. It's really important that we remember that. That we see the power to work our maturity flows from God into Christ and then is revealed to us by the Spirit through the Word of God. And so I want you to hear this morning that God is not just powerful enough to bring you salvation through Christ. He is powerful enough to bring you sanctification through Christ. He's not just powerful enough to save you. He's powerful enough to make you realize who you are now in Christ. And so he will bring the potential of your identity into quantifiable action in your life. You see, God's not working just to save you. He's working to change you into who he wants you to be. And so there's some obvious, I think, conclusions, but need to be stated as, as as we reach the end of this text. The first is where is our identity? Because the reality is, If our identity is not found in Christ, then every area of maturity that we see Paul wants these believers to grow in, that he's praying, that he's pleading with God to grow these believers in, is inaccessible to us because we do not have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we are not a part of Christ. And so the first step for all of us is to turn from our sins, put trust and faith in Christ, and believe in him for salvation. And our identity is now, at that moment, changed, and we are now found in Christ, But for those of us who have made that decision, or even as we make it right now, right, we see that the next step is then to depend on the Spirit to reveal Christ to us. And what's amazing about that is God, His infinite wisdom, has shown us through His Word what Christ has done. And so there's a almost synergistic relationship here between the revelation of the Spirit and our reading of Scripture, you see, why it's so important that we as Christians immerse ourselves in Scripture is because God has chosen that the Scriptures be where He reveals what Christ has done to us. And so if the Spirit is going to affirm that that is truly what Christ has done and use that for in our hearts for spiritual maturity, then we must make sure and we must take every step to faithfully immerse ourselves in those Scriptures. The reality is, the Spirit can work apart from them, it's God, but the Spirit wants to work through them. And we affirm that the Spirit is working when the work that we feel the Spirit doing testifies and is in line with Scripture. Right? Basically, what Paul's saying here in this entire passage is that the Spirit is never going to testify to anything that is not found in Scripture. Because the Spirit desires to testify to the things of Scripture because the things of Scripture are the revelation of Jesus Christ and the working of God the Father. And so we should devote ourselves, right, to the study of God's Word so the Spirit may use that in us to make us mature believers and present us acceptable before Christ and before God the Father. And then, to jump ahead to the end, or to the middle of chapter 2, verse 10, we then do the works that God prepared for us beforehand. And we do them growing step by step in Christian maturity and in knowledge of God, and we delight more and more in knowing who He is and seeing clearly that we serve an amazing, amazing God who saved us. And so as the worship team comes to to lead us in in the hymn of invitation, I call you to respond this morning. To respond by putting your faith and trust in Christ for the first time. To respond by devoting yourself to the word of God so the spirit may use, may use it to bring Christian maturity in you. Or simply to respond by being faithful day in and day out to do what God has called you to do so that your faith may be an encouragement to other believers and their faith may be an encouragement to you. As we sing this hymn, respond as the Spirit leads you to do.